You're listening to KPDO 89.3 Pescadero Radio, The Shields and Talbot Show. This is episode two of our Bay Area Educator Series with our guest, Hector Pineva, a Bay Area educator who's here to discuss his experience in the pandemic as an educator and address power and privilege in a system based on erasure, colonialism, and non-consensual obedience. Thank you for tuning in. For the listeners of this radio segment, um, I wanted to introduce you as Hector Paneva, and we do know so many things about you because you have been with us since the San Francisco State Cohort in 2016, Um, but... Tell us a little bit for our listeners about your backstory, where you went to school, what you did in your 20s. I think you're actually a few years younger than me, so currently in your 20s. And what's up? (laughs) Where you grew up and how did that lead you into the, you know, since the beginning to the SF State cohort and what you're doing now, what your work looks like? Okay. Wow. <laughs> like pretty much your whole life story. <laughs> like, <laughs> just, just real quick. Um, yeah, I'm Hector Pineda, uh, or Pineda, as my coworkers call me. <laughs> um, uh, I was born in Pasadena, Los Angeles, and at the age of four, um, my mom and my sisters moved to El Salvador, um, where I, I went to school. Um, I did most of my elementary in El Salvador until 2001. And then I moved back and rejoined my pops with my mom and sisters in the San Fernando Valley. Um, yeah, right before 9-11. So that was an interesting time mm. for me. <laughs> um, yeah. Yeah, just pop culture and all that and uh yeah it's kind of interesting looking back at it now like how much of a juggernaut american culture is because everything we got in el salvador at least in the 90s was like a year and a half back like i was in my second season of friends by the time i came up here and friends was like already done <laughs> everyone was <laughs> over it people were into wrestling um but yeah so i went to school in the san fernando valley um, a different kind of mission, but a mission nonetheless. I guess uh, I'm a very migratory person in that sense. Uh, and then I went to state and I've been here since 2010. Um, yeah, it's been 10 years and I have no regrets. No regrets. <laughs> I feel like I missed several questions. Please let no, me know. <laughs> that's, that's beautiful. Um, and leading up to such a unique backstory, you know, how has your identity informed your teaching practice? Well, when I first started going to school up here in San Francisco State, I was enrolled for photojournalism because um, I was just interested in like current events and somehow being a part of it, but not necessarily being the part of it. I just wanted to be a witness of it all. Um, and yeah, after one semester, I kind of dropped out of that and decided that I would be undeclared, um, but was still taking several political science classes. Um, and it was my cousin's idea, actually, to become a teacher. He's just 
said it very surreptitiously. It was like, you know, you, maybe you should think about becoming a teacher. And so I was like, sure, I'll try. And then I picked up a double major in history and had history and political science just in case. And uh, yeah, since 2013, I've just been doing odd after school jobs or working as a kindergarten teacher in charter schools without any experience. Um, but besides that, growing up in LA sucked. The LAUSD, I think is only second to the SFUSD as being like one of the more racist school districts in the state. Um, the amount of like segregation and inequities that occur are wild. Um, I like, you know, I'm sure you've heard the stereotypes, but like they're, they're real. Like my school counselor when I was in 10th grade told me, well, we get to choose your own elective, right? I want to learn French. And she said that my background is better suited for Spanish. And so she like basically pushed me to learn Spanish. Which... Well, we speak Spanish. <laughs> You're a heritage yeah. <laughs> really easy and it kind of sets up like their expectations of what you can do like they in many ways she taught me to be a lazier version of myself like I just need to do just enough to please people and not go any further than is needed um uh yeah my my first I was stuck in ES English as a second language and from my getting here so from third grade well fourth grade on to eighth grade I was an ESL student um yeah I don't think I ever tested out of that uh, I don't think I would have but my mom and dad kind of had to go into the school and like until they put me in regular classes and even then I was in regular I was in like interdisciplinary studies which I don't believe is a thing anymore but people try to people will talk about that and act like it's a new thing, like interdisciplinary studies. It's basically just like projects that are extended through different classes, like your history, English, and uh, science classes are all connected somehow. Yeah. Um, and yeah, I met one of my favorite educators though in LA and have now rekindled with him. Coincidentally, or perhaps by fate, whichever one you want to believe in, but uh, in high school, and that's cool. Like, we, we're coworkers now. I, like, that dude really changed my life. He, like, gave me a young reader's history to the United States, and I think, like, that's been it. His name is Akil Laud, if you, do you know, I don't know. He does ethnic studies at SFUSD now with Art Nelson, and uh, they're, like, both the coordinators, along with Terika. And uh, yeah, that's that was a trip. I saw him like a year ago. Yeah, and we, I, I just started to cry. I, I couldn't believe like what a wicked twist of fate that was to just like, to be both inspired and then to also work alongside somebody that yeah. you look up to. This is one of our many conversations during our cohort. You said that, and this is not gonna be word for word, but. If someone walked in your class, someone first impression would be that it's chaotic or there's a lot of things going on. 
but it's where students are able to choose, you have more choice in the classroom and more ability, like more connection with your students. Can you elaborate a little bit more on that, on that, on your teaching style and how your experiences have informed that classroom space? Um, yeah. Uh, I would say that a lot of my teaching style derives from a lot of the politics that I've read as like an undergrad and as a student today even. Um, and a lot of it is just like self-emancipation. I felt like at LAUSD, um, I was just constantly being pushed around by other adults telling me what to do what to think and like even like what to expect for myself and uh, and it wasn't like based on what they were like no one was trying to have any ill will on me but it was just uh there was never a time where I got to choose something and even in those instances that I did I was kind of like disencouraged from holding on to those choices uh and I feel like a lot of that lack of choice and option is what I try to do the opposite of in my classroom um, and just like treating students like people. Um, it's insane how much teachers just see students as products and not as like human beings. Um, and it's evident in the way that people talk about students, um, you know, the way they dehumanize who they are and talk about them as like just things that go through and get pushed along, um, you know, and in some ways that's like a coping mechanism that folks have enabling that kind of behavior. Um, so yeah, I guess like in terms of my classroom, like someone might walk in and say like, wow, this is a very inappropriate way to like talk to your teacher. But I feel like they only do that because they know that they can. They know that if they speak to me in a certain kind of way that there won't be the similar kinds of consequences that there would be in other classes. Um, and yeah, so I don't believe in anything punitive. I don't believe in yelling at people. I don't believe in like telling kids what to do. Um, it's just about like explaining your reasoning and really practicing what you preach. Like if you're gonna tell students to explain their reasoning, then why shouldn't you? Yeah, and, and like, yeah, even like swearing is, I think, funny in professional spaces because people are so like, so used to this like rule and, you know, respectability politics about it all, but like it, it's, it's a liberating experience to swear in a professional setting because people don't want you to do it. And yeah, and there are appropriate times to, to swear. Um, and it's about using it in a way that makes sense. Um, so I guess in my class, it's like all about giving students choices and options and allowing them to struggle. And sometimes that struggle devolves into chaos, but it isn't about just letting it be. It's about assessing what happened and being reflective people. Why, why didn't it work? What could we do next? I think I'm very privileged to be at a school that allows me to teach in this kind of way because I don't follow the chronological order that the California forces students to follow. Um, 
And in many ways, I get to teach students what they really want to learn. And I mostly focus on like skills building and being able to make a claim, provide evidence and show how that evidence is reasoning for your claim. Yeah, I'm not sure if that makes any sense. Oh, that makes perfect sense. I think, you know, because <laughs> going to school isn't a consensual space, you know, it's by law that you have to go. So giving them more of that yeah. freedom in your classroom to be humans and for others, that would be so, it would be, there'd be like threats of expulsion or just something so unnecessary. Yeah, and like it's, I, I think it's hilarious that I don't expect like mature responses from people who are considered children. Yeah. You know, like you don't even allow these people to vote. Like, why are you surprised by what they have to say? Like, they're just, they're immature. They're going to do immature things. Um, and so like, it's always, I think having that expectation that there's a possibility of people being immature, then I think that opens it up for you. And also just being intentional, like even like, you know, dropping the, the, the uh, suffixes like Mr. and Mrs. Like, I, I think, you know, for some people they might see that as like a coping mechanism as like, oh, you're just putting on a mask to be like a cool teacher or whatever. But, you know, it's those little things that really matter. Like it's, it's intentional to drop those things because it comes from a place of like power. It comes from a space of like, I am the authority. And it's not the kind of authority that asks for like a mutual kind of respect, but rather like you should respect me because of the consequences that are uh, bestowed under my authority. Um, and that has a whole like load of um, history behind it. Just like the colonization of indigenous students and how our schools very much still resemble those kinds of schools today. Um, they might not be the exact like copies of those kinds of schools, but I'm sure those kinds of like authority figures are very similar to those kinds of teachers we have today. I mean, I wouldn't be surprised if once those schools closed down that the, those same teachers became veteran teachers at other schools. Um, you know, and this is all from like a culture of like, erasure assimilation and non-consensual obedience exactly and so it's a whole it's a whole mess of different things pulling kids different ways and i think yeah it's the tiny things that really go off in intentional ways to show that you that you're down you know i'm anti-racist i'm anti-homophobia i'm anti-patriarchy those are things that people say but when it comes down to it what do you do about it what do you actually do in the classroom mm -hmm. you know and then i hate seeing teachers who have like especially our school district who have like black lives matters you know the union members all have black lives matter shirts but like you go into their classrooms and you see the data of their schools and who are the kids that are getting suspended the most who are the kids that are getting sent out of class the most and so when push comes to shove, like not many teachers actually put their money where their mouth is. Yeah. Can you walk the talk, you know, cause these are these magic words that are just the thing to say now, but are you actually yeah. doing that? Yeah.
It's, I feel like people just watch like Hardball and we're like, I want to be a teacher and literally do what Keanu Reeves does in Hardball. Have you seen Hardball? Uh, no. <laughs> do I, I need to see Hardball. Oh, sorry. I'm writing this down. I'm watching this today. You should. It's, I love watching movies where there's portrayals of classrooms or teachers because it's so wrong. It's so wrong. <laughs> it does not happen. <laughs> This is the expectation that people have for students and oh, and captain, like, my captain! <laughs> you're like, here we, go. you're like, come on now. Or like <laughs> Sister Act Two. I'm just like, man, no way. Yeah, yeah. If you if you go into a classroom, I don't care if you're Whoopi Goldberg, and you come yell at me for, and it's just your first day here, I'm somehow supposed to respect you. Like you're gonna get, and I think they blowed from students, man. There's no way you can just go in and just say, like, listen to my beautiful voice. And somehow kids are going to recognize your allyship. Like, that's, it's such a fantasy. They think that they can become teachers just as well. Some teachers I've had interactions with felt like they were, their experiences and their knowledge was exactly what needed to be duplicated inside of the student without recognizing them as humans. And you're just like, who, what makes you so qualified to do this? Or do you believe that you are the, the voice that needs to be heard all the time? And they're like, absolutely, yes. And I was kind of shocked at how straight, you know, straight face they said that answer in. Like that, that was, the scarier part you're just like do you really think and then even in during COVID-19 during the pandemic I found myself I couldn't even just I couldn't I was arguing with myself I couldn't even justify the the things that I was gonna go teach for the last two months I'm like I looked at it I'm like none of this makes sense right now <laughs> like how am I gonna justify doing this during this time I was like nope See, but I, I 